Jim Comey continues his creepy Operation Mockingbird tour. The race controversy surrounding Starbucks is looking more and more like a publicity stunt. And some questions about the Southwest Airline crash. I'm Brad Binkley. You're listening to the Propaganda Report here with Monica Perez. Monica, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm just amazed more and more every day about how absurd the news has become. Just this week, Stormy Daniels releases a composite sketch of a man that she says intimidated her seven years ago. The sketch looks just like her husband, a company that is a world leader in social corporate responsibility, one that spends more time virtue signaling for racial equality than any other, is apparently now a racist, which I believe this is a publicity stunt that Starbucks may or may not be involved in, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And finally, and this isn't all of it, this is just a a sampling, creepy Jim Comey is on an epic yet whiny book tour that just keeps getting weirder and weirder with every interview he does. It's like we're pulling all the news headlines straight from the tabloids. That's exactly the stuff that I really cannot engage in. When when the picture on the front page of the Wall Street Journal is Stormy Daniels storming a courtroom she had no business being in for a crazy, that Michael Cohen thing where the FBI raided his offices and took his records. Yeah. I mean, it's so insane. And then my husband, who never engages in this stuff at all, pointed out that the whole thing is about Michael Cohen paying her off for some anonymous person who's supposedly Trump, and that's counted as a campaign contribution. And my husband pointed out that Trump has a brand and a wife. Yeah. So he would, even if it were not true, he would pay her off to shut her up. And it would have nothing to do with running for president. His value is much more in his business and his prenuptial agreement. She's making a killing off of this. She could have released, they could have did all of this before the election if they wanted to, but it's worth more now. What do you mean? She's making tons of money. That well, I've seen clips is. of her in yeah. the in the uh, Make America Horny Again tour, which somehow people are able to get their cell phone cameras, their video cameras on inside the strip clubs now. Mm-hmm. Used to, the bouncer would toss you out for that, but mm-hmm. now you can find little clips from the back of these clubs, and the place is mm-hmm. packed, man. She's yeah. killing it, and she's getting like seventy five grand to do like a night or something like that. This is the best thing that's ever happened to her. But what? Why is it a federal case? Why why are they raiding Michael Cohen's office because of that? There's no legitimate question. I'm not exactly sure what the raid is directly connected to because they're like combining a bunch – or conflating, is that the word they use, all of these stories together. Isn't – it wasn't the whole Michael Cohen raid because he supposedly – it's like a campaign. A campaign donation thing. I don't think it's related to the Mueller right now, but I I think it's related to the Mueller thing, but I don't think he ordered it. I don't think his team ordered it. I think the U.S. attorney ordered it, if I can remember correctly. Maybe he like referred them to or told them to. I don't know. I can't remember the specific details. But but for me, here's the problem. I find this stuff, this tabloid fodder so repellent that I can't watch it. I cannot watch this stuff it's it's uh, even if it's all true if this is cycling through 24 7 the stormy dance like even if it's true that trump a germophobe and a cheapskate 
is getting someone whose job is to sell sex for money. That in itself makes it impossible for me to believe. The only thing that I do believe is that she's an actress and this is a show. And that even if he did it, who cares? It doesn't matter. There's nothing illegal about it, even the campaign thing. So why are they talking about it 24-7? Okay, stipulate all the facts. He did it. And then he paid her off. This embodies what Edward Bernays wrote about 100 years ago. You have to create your own news to stand out. You have to dramatize everything to stand out and capture the attention of the nation where everybody's attention is dispersed to focus it on this one thing. You have to essentially do a series of public relations stunts and create events and create news. This this is the embodiment of this this week. I wonder if Cohen or Trump own a piece of her business. That's a good question. I'm just saying. They might have invested in some stormy stock a few months back before it, you know, went up so high. You know what I'm saying? What do you think? Do you think music played when she stormed into the courtroom and a pole wrote like came down from the top of the building? (laughs) And she pulled her clothes off and stood on a table. Yeah. And started speaking out for hashtag me too. Lap dances to the She's like, I'm speaking out for women. She strips down and she has hashtag me too written. And it's not. And with me, it's not a hat. Uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> come to my rally right <laughs> yeah that'll get some uh people on the right to show up to one of these marches. oh yeah oh yeah that would work i'm sure that's it like there's definitely there's some of that going on the back and forth there but you just have to wonder because like <clears throat> the plane crash thing the uh southwest airlines engine malfunction which i was like I'm skeptical about just to start out with because it was kind of a weird thing to go wrong on a plane. And then as soon as they were just like, oh, the female Sully was flying this, just kept her cool. If you hear the air traffic control back and forth between Sully and the ATC guy when Sully was going down in the river, you would think those guys were ordering Big Macs in the drive-thru. Like, you got to keep cool. That's what you do. So I, it's... It's like as offensive as when people would say, you know, Obama is so smart. It's like, what are you saying? You didn't expect him to be smart? You know, like what, what, what are you saying? Like you didn't expect her to be calm? Like she's somehow, something about her makes you think that she can't function like a normal person. Oh, because she's a woman? Yeah, she might have been menstruating and then they just would have been done. And then she just could have, right, she would have started screaming irrationally. (laughs) So, but um, my point was that... uh, I don't believe anything in the new. Now I can't remember what my point was. Uh, Oh, I know what I was going to say is that the guy, the only passenger who seems to be uh, uh, together enough to have a conversation, Marty Martinez, I would say 99% of the passenger interviews from that Southwest flight were by the same guy, Marty Martinez. Very easy name to remember. Yeah. Who's a social media marketing guy. And he, uh, he his he made it to the scene because during this hysterical situation, while a woman got sucked out of a window on the plane and they pulled her dead body back in or her dying body mm. back in. I mean, I've been on a lot of planes and I've been scared on planes and nothing like that ever. That's happened. a horrific description. I mean, hard. the story was horrific. Horrific. So he he kept his head though. 
because he's a social media guy. A friend of his tweeted me to tell me, hey, man, he's a social media guy. That's why he kept his head. And he kept his head and he, and he logged social in. Social media guys are, are super cool under the pressure. Super cool. So what he did was he entered his credit card information and signed up for Wi-Fi in real time. And Facebook Live streamed his reaction, which, by the way, if I recall correctly, the oxygen mask was only over his mouth, not his nose. And that isn't exactly how it works, but okay, whatever. So um, he live streamed this thing, supposedly. And I actually had to wonder if it was an ad for you can now use live streaming on planes. I did look up some of the live streaming stuff after you posted right? about that. and it, I've never the, been able to do that. They have tested it, but i it's not something that's mainstream or normal, and it's dependent on – the infrastructure of the Wi-Fi and the plane. I'm interested in calling and trying to get a ticket on a plane where they allow that because it does seem like it's something that's very and rare. That Southwest planes are no frills, and that plane obviously is so old, the engine's falling apart, so that they would have the latest in Wi-Fi tech is, is quite hard to believe, but it's possible. Didn't we and- live stream the moon landing? Oh, my gosh. I was talking <laughs> to a photographer about that on a plane like two days ago, and – He said, oh, the way they did it, this is what he said, it wasn't live streaming. They told everybody it was, but it wasn't really. What it was was they transmitted, and it took like five hours, and then they answered them, and then they transmitted the response. So every back and forth took like 10 hours to get back and forth, and they just cut it and portrayed it as if it was minute-to-minute live. Right, and e- even if that if that's what do you mean, true, right? You heard that lie. story before? I've never heard that story. Yeah, I mean that is just like wow, because he was a professional, and this is what these are the mental gymnastics he had to go through to make sense of what didn't make sense. I don't know what really happened, but I don't think they were two way live streaming at that point. But remember when Facebook Live first came out? The day it came out, they someone live streamed a cop killing a black guy. Which was the news du jour. I'm not identifying the guy's race for any reason, but to say that was the theme of the news, it was absolutely topical to a, a, a fine point. And that's how Facebook Live was launched. It was the Milwaukee thing, too, a little bit after that, where that they ended up – it was a riot in Milwaukee that was fueled by a Facebook live stream that spread really quickly, allegedly, and that caused a bunch of people to go to the scene of a crime and led to a bunch of riots in Milwaukee. I remember we did a show right after it because I, I said that we're going to start seeing these – Oh, yes. These mass – these uh, like tragedies live streamed, and I think we're being conditioned to – like gladiators. Anytime something happens, like David Hogg, yeah, pulled out his phone and started live streaming while he's in the closet. It's uh this idea that planting the seeds in people's heads at any time they're in some certain situation, some certain situation they can be mass surveillance for the state without the state having to. Yeah, because because they're not so, somehow we're not getting it all. You know what I mean? Like we're not getting it all. There weren't there's, you know, if if this guy could keep his head long enough. Presumably other people had videos and stuff, but I'm not seeing a hundred other videos. Like there's just something screwy about that. And I I have to point out this. We did a lot of research on Facebook last week and then Trump popped off on Syria, which blew up our show. We didn't talk about Facebook, but I have to say the weird insight I had by accident was that I was I was talking about Facebook. I was talking about Zuckerberg and how he was tapped as a 12 year old as an ultra gifted person 
as was Sergey Brin, the Google guy. Yeah. And put in this John Hopkins program where they psychological, it was a psychological program where they study gifted kids. Both of these kids happen to be people now are running the world, by the way. And I, and, and, and Zuckerberg obviously has a role as, as the face of it, young guy who's, who's leading the kids into this world of total surveillance and total censorship. And I, 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 Equipped that he was the Pied Piper of the of the total information control system. Yeah, and I and I realized after I said that that Pied Piper was the name is the name of the company in Silicon Valley, the HBO show where the main character is like the a, a Zuckerberg knockoff. He like dresses like him and everything. Yeah. you sent me a great picture of that. His, his eyes company, are empty, like his. Yeah, his exact same hair, everything. His company in that show for no reason at all is called Pied Piper. It doesn't do anything. It does, it does, I don't know, mass compression or something on the internet. It's internet without servers or something like that. They call it Pied Piper for what reason? I don't know. And I just, uh, so I'm just saying like the Facebook thing is much, much more important. You know, it's a, it's a, it's critical infrastructure for the, technocratic well facebook is a nation that's how it's seen that's how it's being talked about now it's a nation it's a world nation essentially oh wow interesting wow of course yes everybody's lives is on globalization of of our cyber personalities which is is actually what we're beginning to think of ourselves as i mean it's so hard to not be a digital person. Right. I was, I think I texted you this the other day. I was thinking the country music songs of the future are going to be kids singing about relationship statuses, getting broken <laughs> up and losing friends on Facebook I'm because that's you, where their life is. I get annoyed when someone doesn't answer me immediately. I'm like, w- w- it is irresponsible for a mother of three not to have her texts we answer a text immediately. You know, like this is what I'm like thinking about that of people I'm trying to get in touch with. You're like, trying to tell me something? Oh, do you not? No, I, I, I'm not really. You're pretty good about it occasionally, <laughs> but I just saying, I, I like, I literally get annoyed. I'm like, it's irresponsible for you not to answer my text. I'm standing here outside waiting for an answer, you know? It's just I always have it in my hand. and Yeah, I, I admit I was actually going to cut a clip of this, but I didn't have time because I, I watched this panel. This guy, uh, Frank Luntz, he, he, Frank Luntz is kind of like – he does the same thing that George Lakoff does in that he finds the language, the trigger language, except he does it in a different way instead of the cognitive approach. What he does is he conducts these – these panel discussions and he finds the words that people use during those panel discussions. And he takes those words and he tests them in other areas. And he does this show, I think it's on vice news, but he was talking to people about their reaction to the whole Facebook thing and whether or not they were going to stop using it. And everybody was like, no, I mean, I figured they're taking my data anyway. I'm not that interesting. It doesn't really matter. I mean, it's all the stuff you would expect people to say. He's a Republican pollster is his official handle, yeah, right? kind of. Or not. Is I he mean, not he's there? a pollster, but a Republican, I I, he's just highest bidder probably. Got it. Uh, okay, wait. So what, what – you had to hijack your, your – Yeah, I, I, I wanted to play, so I I wanted to play I, some I clips. Um, I have some clips from the Starbucks 
um, race war and from uh, Jim Comey, who is on an all shucks Mockingbird propaganda tour that I wanted to play for you because it's really pretty outrageous. We'll start with the Starbucks thing. Anybody who hasn't heard the Starbucks story, which I, I didn't even pay attention to this for the first five days of it because I'm just like, that's not going to – why is that still still in the news, still in the news, still in the news? Now today, you know, you're starting to see the pictures of protesters standing in front of people, baristas making $10 an hour with megaphones shouting, Starbucks is racist, <laughs> hashtag enough, same hashtag from – the uh, David Hogg <laughs> shooting thing, and, and just these burritos—they're making ten bucks an hour. They're getting screamed at by people that they're racist. It's, a, it's you know. Can I just make a point that the left, like as I as a libertarian, I look at the Republicans and I see how the neoconservatives hijacked the traditional conservatives, which is an offshoot of classical liberalism. If only we could return to the Bill of Rights, everything would be great. That's my lament. The Democrats, if you're a, a, a real die-in-the-wool, like, liberal Democrat who actually just believes in collectivism and all that kind of stuff, whatever, and you see that the Democrat Party went from defending the laborer through labor unions whatever and objecting to uh, imperialistic, colonialistic wars, from now they now they don't do either of those things. They just scream about identity. That's Roll all. around in the, in the street. And, yeah, and they create the, the problems. Stuff. You can see them creating the problems and then screaming about them. Like, I think the Starbucks thing was, uh, you know, seems a little manipulated. I think it's a PR stunt. It's, in my opinion, it's, it's a PR stunt that Starbucks might very well be involved in because they have a history not not of doing ones this extreme but of doing ones to similar effect or it's a pr stunt that's being conducted by the resistance with black lives matter leading it i guarantee you i haven't been able to find it because i haven't had enough time to look and now it's a, even if you do uh, a search with a date range the subjects the 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 recent yeah. searches still come up at Google because yeah, the websites are linked to yeah. it. So it's getting it's harder and harder to find old stuff. But I guarantee you these two guys are activists and have worked with either Black Lives Matter or Indivisible over the past couple of years. I guarantee yeah, because of their behavior? Because of how it unfolded or because of their Because of how it unfolded. Like the video, if you watch it, if anybody what doesn't happened? know what happened, here's what happened. These two guys, uh, Rashawn Nelson and something Robinson, uh, they they were in, they went to a Starbucks and their their story is that they were meeting a friend. They walked in the Starbucks. One of them went over and sat down at the table. The other one went over to the manager and asked for the bathroom code. Now there's a bathroom code at Starbucks for a variety of reasons. I used to go to Starbucks on a regular basis and do freelance work, and it's like a little community in there. And you would have to stake out seats. Like there were times where I would have to go to three different Starbucks in the neighborhood before I could find one that had an open seat. So it's very reasonable to require people to be customers because you have paying customers who go in there and do work. That's part of the whole draw of Starbucks. So that's reasonable. Number two, they haven't, they had an epidemic for a while, not just in Atlanta, but around the country of people going into the Starbucks bathrooms and overdosing on heroin. Oh my gosh. Because part of it is they could, 
they, they could get in the bathrooms. This is because a lot locks. of them didn't have codes. Some of them do now, and they require yeah. keys. But also because it's those bathrooms that are only one person. They have those real yeah. thick doors, and they have a lot of yeah. privacy. So there, yeah. there were times where I was in a Starbucks in Atlanta where oh. somebody would go into the bathroom and, and would literally be in there for like three hours. Like yeah, I don't know if they're taking a shower. No, they fall asleep. They nod. Right. Yes, yeah, so there are legitimate reasons for those requirements, and it's common sense to know that if you go into a place like this or any place, you're supposed to buy something. And in this particular, I basically don't go there because there are so many, uh, you know, people flopping around there that right. never move. I, I, mean, I know I'm never going to get a seat, so I don't even bother. Right? Yeah, yeah, and and that's I mean, so these policies are reasonable, and in this particular store. It was policy. It was policy for them to ask people to leave if they don't buy something and if they're trying to take up a seat and if they refuse to leave to call the police. The manager followed the policy. That's what they don't talk about very and he, much. And they probably told the guys that they were doing it. Yes. they. they the woman went over to – she said – he said, can I have the bathroom code? And she said the code is only for customers. And so he walked away. And went over to the table. And this is according to. But like, why not buy something? We, we're all. I know. We're all grown that, up in this point. country. Like, like we know. It's like a dollar seventy-five or two dollars for us. Yeah. For coffee. A Madeline now, is like seventy-five cents. Maybe not. Part of the argument is, well, they were waiting on their friend. And I'm like, OK, so they have to wait on their friend before they buy coffee. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't make any sense. So, like, no, no, they were waiting on their friends. Who cares? Wait, at, wait outside. Yeah, wait, wait on your own private property. Like, right. it's that's the thing about public places. It's it is private property. I mean, I wonder at places like Starbucks, anything that's just like a massive community wrecking monopoly. You got to wonder if they have some pull in the in uh you know higher up politics pushed down to the local political level to get um like zoning concessions or whatever that they wouldn't otherwise have. Like I do am suspicious of stuff like that, Walmart and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, it, you know, just if you want to talk about what's right and wrong as an individual, I always think of whose property is it? They have a right to do whatever they want. They could kick you out because they don't like you. Right. So the whole story, the whole story is coming from this tiny little video and is coming from one side. We're not hearing we're not hearing stuff from the other side. In fact, we will though, and it'll be dialectical. In fact, the manager at one point, and this isn't reported at all, not the manager, but one of the one of the higher ups defended the manager and said that the manager followed the policy. We just didn't put the manager in a good position to follow policy. And that's the thing about Starbucks. This is why they might be involved, or they might not be. Starbucks is always going to kowtow to the social justice movement. Oh, yeah. That of is course. their thing. They That's love it. They thing. use it as an opportunity. Right. Yeah. They're they're a social corporate social responsibility leader. And I have a clip that I'm going to play. Which for I you hate. You that. know, I would love to insert a libertarian moment, but if you're if we've got too much to do, I won't. Go for it. I don't like corporate stakeholder stuff. I don't like corporate activism because us little guys, our only opportunity to engage in the fruits of capital rather than just earn labor is by buying a share of stock. If you, if you, if by buying a share of stock, you actually have to pay for political movements that you don't really like, or you're shut out of all of the profits of capitalism, it's, uh, it's like paying your taxes for bad politics all over again. Right. 
And the argument that they're going to make is going to be a lake-off argument where it's simply companies acting and doing what's morally best for people. Right, but you have to always remember, which those guys do not, that we are in a in a philosophical struggle between Plato and Aristotle. And these are legitimate distinctions, and that's why it's not just morally correct. If it were morally correct, we would all do it. Everybody doesn't kill people. Everybody advocates not killing people. It's an age-old struggle of what is right and what is wrong on the social level. And right. that's why I don't want every single penny I spend in taxes or every bit of labor I contribute or every share of stock I buy to promote uh, platonic collectivism because I don't think it's morally correct. Right. And this is a divide and conquer tactic. This is the same stuff we're going to see all summer with the monument stuff. People probably don't realize this, but right before the Starbucks thing cropped up, there was more and more stories about the statues around the country, the Confederate statues popping up into the news, about Thomas Jefferson, about other statues that people demanding they get taken down. These are the themes that shift in the news. The theme was gun control. Now we're getting back to race division, which is going to be one of the most important factors in these elections coming up in November. And we have the primaries coming up next month. So the timing of this, it's perfectly, it's strategic. Mm I want you to listen to this clip. See if you can recognize the problem in the reporting on this story. I edited together like three different parts of it, so it's going to be pretty obvious. I think it'll be easy for you to spot. This is from the CBS Morning Show with George Stephanopoulos and Robin Roberts, and she's talking to the two guys that were in Starbucks and their lawyer. So approximately 4.35, you arrive for a 4.45 business meeting. According to 911 accounts, a call was placed at 4.37, approximately two minutes after you arrived to 911. Who hasn't spent two minutes waiting in a Starbucks? Two minutes. And I think when people hear that and the fact that he called the the business person that they were going to meet, they were going to meet at 4.45. They got there 10 minutes early. Two minutes. I mean, and as you said, he said in a piece, actions, not just words. And I think that's what they're looking for, to see really a real change, not just with Starbucks, but I think with... It's a societal issue. You just can't label it on Starbucks. Starbucks, social corporate responsibility leader. But what did you notice there? I was a little confused by the timeline or what even they were trying to say. Yes, exactly, the timeline. When you read the articles today, every single one of them starts off with, he was in there for two minutes before she called police. And at the beginning of that clip, she says, according to police reports, the call came in at 4.37, and they arrived approximately at 4.35. So the 4.37 – the official that comes from the police report. Where does the four thirty five number yes, come from? Yes, yes. It comes yes. from the two guys. That's why they say right. approximately. And you know what they have in Starbucks? At least every Starbucks that I've ever been into, and I've been into a lot of them. I used to do freelance in them all the time in various locations around the country. Cameras. Right. You figure all that out. So show the whole thing. Did, have we seen the whole thing? No. All you see is the video that was taken by somebody who, to me, yeah, it when looked the like this person was with them. Right. The video focused more on the white guy who was clearly grandstanding. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like this horrible camera footage, and we see nothing else. So just like they always do in the news, we only get one tiny piece of the picture pulled completely out of context without a clue about what actually happened in full. 
This is Robin Roberts asking them why they believe the manager asked them to leave. The manager asked him to leave because she was following the rules. We can assume that or we can assume that she was racist. They Starbucks called attention to themselves immediately by asking to use the bathroom. And not leaving. Denying. She wouldn't even have been aware of them. Yeah, exactly. That's why I think this is a PR stunt because they called so much attention to themselves. Nobody's denying that discrimination exists, but when you go and force yourself into the situation, it's what, what Saul Alinsky talks about. When you force this reaction from people, you can yeah. frame this reaction as racist. So here is Robin Roberts asking these guys why they think the manager kicked them out, and they don't respond because their lawyer interjects and answers for them. Why do you both think that store manager called 911? Well, Robin, you're asking them to um, have an opinion about somebody else's intent. The facts speak for themselves. There's not a single witness that says that these young men were misbehaving in any way, and you can see and hear that on the video. But they were misbehaving. Yeah, they were technically violating the policies of the store, and then when they were asked to leave by police, they didn't leave. So I think some people would see that as misbehaving. But then they also make the claim that no witnesses said anything. What, what is he talking about? The manager's a witness. I highly doubt she's saying the exact same thing that they're saying. This is that art of ambiguity thing, though, again. I, well, I shouldn't say that. This could just be uh, a setup and they don't care that their underlying problem. But usually when I see this kind of ambiguity, I feel like it's, it is absolutely meant to get a reaction from both sides. Yeah, yeah, totally. And he points to the video. The facts speak for themselves as though you look at that video and that just has all the complete facts of what happened. That is a tiny slice. That's the other thing. That ambiguity thing is always coupled with, and this happened with the black versus blue thing all year long. You never, ever, ever saw a video from beginning to end. Never, ever, ever. And anybody who watches that video... If you're being objectionable, yeah, objective, not objectionable, yes. objective, <laughs> then it, then there's a million questions that come to mind. These guys were asked to leave by the police. They didn't leave. The claim from Starbucks is that the manager asked them to leave, and they didn't leave, and they say that but, she didn't ask yeah. them to leave. It's like now it's not believe the woman because the manager's a woman, right? Yes, the manager so intersectionality or hierarchy of, you know, who you to believe, because that's the thing, right? If you don't believe these guys, that's isn't that unconscious bias? I guess so. They say that they feared for their lives. And if you watch this video, you're like, really? They, they feared for their <laughs> lives in that moment. This was it was a black police officer, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Now, here's when they're asked. Robin Roberts asked them, what would you say to people who say that you broke the rules? What do you say to some people who say rules are rules, that Starbucks has a policy, you violated that policy, the police asked you repeatedly to leave, and you didn't? How do you respond to people who say that? What I say is I understand that. Rules are rules, but what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And that's any situation, whether it's race involved anything. And Robin, I'm sorry, but what is, what is that rule? Starbucks holds itself uh, open as a, uh, a place uh, for people to meet uh, and to have public conversations. Those are words from their website. What is that? 
Well, I'll tell you what it reminds me of, and I've told you this before. When I first saw Do the Right Thing, I was really left the theater scratching my head. I was like, but but the cop killed the guy. Why did they break the pizza place? You know? I just couldn't. I just could not understand the collectivism, you know, because that's real racism, right? They say, well, the cop, Danny Aiello and the cop are interchangeable because of they belong to the same identity group. Although I don't think the cop was Italian and Aiello was clearly Italian. You know, that was his identity. Uh, Are you talking about a movie? Yeah, do the right thing. It was what made, sorry, you're younger than I am. And I was quite young when it came out. Um, that was Spike Lee's first movie. You never saw Do the Right Thing? No. Oh. I, I, was, I was thinking the phrase Do the Right Thing that Obama used to use all the time. But he probably got it from the movie, and it was about – Good point. The thing about the movie was – I mean, I, I hate to spoil, so don't listen. If, can I tell you? Yeah, Very quick. Me. So Radio Ramin, I think, got uh, choked to death by a cop in that kind of like takedown maneuver that um, the cigarette guy was supposedly died of, but didn't he, he maybe died, but it's a long story. But anyway, so Radio Ramin was taken down by a cop. I believe if I recall correctly, it was a long time ago and killed. And um, the pizza place, there's a pizza place in the black neighborhood that Danny Aiello had run for decades. And he made a good living. He was richer than the people, his customers. Um, and I, maybe he had problems. Maybe he kicked Radio Ramin out for bringing his boombox in there all the time. I can't really remember. But there were some issues with Aiello. But Aiello didn't kill the guy. But whoever at the end, neighborhood kid, decided enough is enough, he was going to take a stand. He was going to do the right thing. And he throws a garbage can through the window of the pizza place. Oh, as yeah. A, response to the death of Radio Rami. I just remember being absolutely baffled by that. I was like, that's the right thing? That's like totally the wrong thing. Like, Aiello did nothing. He sells you pizza. Okay, he's a jerk, but he didn't kill your friend, and he's selling you pizza. You know? Like, now you don't get the pizza. It would be nice if somebody from your neighborhood started the pizza place, but your your neighborhood was undermined by the same people who killed Radio Rami, not by Aiello. Yeah. So I so do the right thing to me is it was my I I puzzled over it for a very long time and then I realized it is it is a, a an intentional effort to rewrite the laws of morality. It goes to that clip you played me of the Stacey Abrams activist and the Panamanian guy who said this isn't this isn't how things are done when things are done right but they're not done right so we have to take matters into our own hands and then the ACLU guy or whatever it was the said to the kids he was training we're not telling you not to break rules they're rewriting not only law, laws they're rewriting morality and what what it is is it's subjective so subjectivism is is dangerous because you don't know how to rely on things. And there is no morality. Subjectivism, the only morality of subjectivism is hypocrisy. Like the only sin is hypocrisy. If you're not internally consistent. But for the rest of us, subjectivism is very confusing. And it doesn't, it, you know what I mean? Rules are rules, but you got to do the right thing. Well, I don't know what the right thing is and neither will you and you won't know what to expect. And we're we're not going to be able to 
keep order. And I don't mean like law and order. We, I mean, I think a society is self-ordering. I think we keep our own order. I absolutely believe that. And we all kind of agree on the rules. Like you don't steal and you don't kill and, and going trespassing, which is what happens when you're on somebody's property and they ask you to leave. If a police officer asks anybody to leave multiple times, what do they expect? The cops just to give up and say, okay, we tried. It doesn't matter what your race is. If you're asked to leave by police officers. And that's why you think it's a PR stunt. Right. Like you said, they got, they drew attention to themselves. The, the cops came. They were in clear violation of a rule. Whether or not there's been prejudice at a Starbucks or any other restaurant or coffee shop in the country, that nobody's denying that. But the fact that this seems like it was provoked is why it seems it, – it, and, and it's still in the news for a week, and it's headlined. And you know, maybe they trolled Starbucks to find a chick who has a chip on her shoulder, a chick they could they could provoke. You know what I mean? Maybe they actually found somebody yeah. who had bias. This is a progressive company. Yeah. It's like Chick-fil-A. They they are certain kind of people. You know what I mean? Right. Right. They just they're they they're jo- they like make them be friendly. I actually was at Baskin Robbins not too long ago and I said, "Do you guys when you guys get hired, like how do they screen you?" And they said, "Well, they make sure that you're someone who smiles a lot and blah 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 because I could tell cuz they always smile." And uh and Chick-fil-A is the same way and some places aren't. Right. Yeah. You know, you're looking for Starbucks. I bet they're looking for like hot chicks too. Totally. Not hot, but you know, like t shirty things, which an airline could never get away with. But if you just if you're looking for hipsters, you know, you're talking about young people who look nice. Look yeah. The way they want their culture to be. And Starbucks, I've studied Starbucks. I was interested in some of their programs that they were putting on after they did a specific race-related campaign three years ago, which was a PR stunt. I was one. This is when I told you when their stock like went down a whole lot, and I told everybody I knew. I was like, I'm not a stockbroker, but buy Starbucks stock right now. This is a PR stunt because I researched the CEO. He had a history of doing stuff like this, it, thrusting the company into controversy. And then once they're in the media, it's the whole create news, create news using controversy, made the stock dip. And then uh, inevitably, he he comes in and says, well, we're putting on these programs these socially responsible programs to fix this. And we're, yeah, and, and we the crowd went wild. Stock goes right back up. Yeah. So three years ago, they did this. It was called, it was a campaign called the Race Together campaign. And it was to start a national conversation about race relations. And it made news because of what they said they were going to do in their press release on their website, which I knew it was bogus. I went to the Starbucks and I pulled aside a few of the baristas and I asked them a bunch of specific questions to verify what I thought. The program caused controversy was that they were requiring, this is what they said in the media, baristas to write race together on the cups of customers and then start conversations about race relations with people who are coming up to them and ordering coffee. And so there's a line of people. I would quit. Everybody's agitated and want coffee. And somebody goes, (laughs) oh, here's your coffee. Let's have a conversation about race relations. This is a job for a conflict resolution specialist. They get paid six figures to go to businesses to talk about um, race relations and stuff like that. And you're telling me baristas getting 10 bucks an hour are supposed to hold up a line of agitated people who just want their coffee and, and, talk and what about are they it? supposed to say? This is a really, we it's, it's a, it's a very sensitive 
subject. Well, exactly. They can, it, they can exploit it all they want. But for me, I don't want, I was raised, uh, in the, in the, in the community everywhere to, you don't want to, you don't want to point out, uh, identity issues. You want to talk about a person's, you want to search for the person's character. You want to look for commonality. You right. want, you want to look past race. That's what you want to do. You want to look past everything. You want to look past handicaps. You want to look past that. That's what, that's the essence of charity. That's the essence of good manners. That's what you want to do. How are you supposed to tread on that? And why would anyone buying a cup of coffee want to have to, uh, navigate right and this is the like this is that. the conversation they were having in the national media and, and i i knew and that- i gotta say one last thing is that it's a sound bites is not the way to have a conversation like that that is you really have to get to know somebody to understand that they might be saying something that you that you could take wrong but you need to understand who they are and where they're coming from so you can understand as they search for the language to express something they really want to get your opinion on you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, it's a sensitive yeah. subject. You have to really get to the bottom of it. You can't yeah. just throw stuff out there. That's why I knew the whole thing was bogus is because that's not something you ask somebody $10 an hour to do. The, the idea was to start a national conversation. The idea was to never have the baristas do that because that's putting your right. – they treat their employees very, very well at Starbucks. In fact, this manager, she hasn't been fired I read that she is no longer at that store. People are taking that as she's not with the company. I take that as she got transferred to another store. Or which promoted. That's Possibly. But um, I knew this thing that this uh, race together thing, the way they were talking about it in the media, which is the exact conversation you were having. Why would anybody do that? Nobody wants to do that. The idea was to make the news media talk about it so that it permeated in people's minds and the national consciousness. It was never intended to actually make the breezes do that. I went to Starbucks and I pulled a few of the baristas aside and um, mind you, this was in the headlines for like days, like a week at this point. And I asked them, the first one I asked about it, she, she hadn't even heard about it. She didn't watch the news. H- hadn't even heard about really? it. And she ha- yeah, hadn't been in the meeting. So I, and another one overheard me and she came over and she said, oh, yeah, we, we had a meeting about that this morning. And they were going to send just some specialty cups or something. And I was like, now, did they talk to you about how you guys are supposed to yeah. start a conversation? And she's like, oh, no, no, they would never. Like, they were just shocked. <laughs> yeah, so that it would was be bogus. a crazy thing to do. And, and they never intended. The, the, the only reason they included that stuff in the, in the press release is because they knew that's what would capture the media's attention and make it the story. This is what I'm talking about, about creating news. It wasn't something that was really happening. Yeah, it was what created the national conversation. Yeah, around that, I don't know around that time, but recently there was this thing about Mike Microaggression. There's tons of that microaggression thing. And one of the things they're saying that, that was like offensive was to ask someone, uh, like with an accent, where they're from, which is terrible to want somebody to have to erase their true, you know, that what makes them one of the facets of their multifaceted personality. Yeah. I think that's awful. But you're not allowed to ask people, so what are you supposed to say? Uh, yeah. What race are you? I, I don't know what race you are, but I want to talk about race, but we can't actually identify. You know, I mean. Oh, you must think I'm from a shithole country. Huh? <laughs> exactly. What? How? It's cuckoo. Cuckoo. All right, and just Did to, you get a cup? Did you get a let's talk about race cup? No, they didn't even use them. They just left. Like, you should have like, asked her to write so, it on care. it. That's what I'm talking about. Like, it was nothing was about actually doing it. 
It was just about causing the controversy on a national level. So the CEO could then go do interviews at all the major networks. And then, then that he could use that to go leverage it and have conversations at like forums and public halls, kind of like the CNN public hall, except for race, and then go do, do corporate responsibility conferences. It's all about establishing that image of it. And it, it and their stock, as soon as all that shit happened, yeah. boring back up. So that's what I'm talking about. This is why, and it, like, I suspected that it was bogus because I was reading about, it was Howard Schultz was the CEO at the time. He's the founder and CEO. He's not currently the CEO, but he is like the president president or something and he is the guy who's going around doing the interviews right now but he had a history of doing of doing these kind of experimental type stuff to get attention to the company to transform it and to make it this socially conscious and responsible company i bet he runs for president in 2020 he probably won't win the nomination what's his name howard schultz is the the founder and CEO of He used Starbucks? to be the CEO he's not the CEO now but he's still like a uh, he's like the main guy still so he just he gave that role to somebody else, but he still has like a president role or something like that. And he's going around doing interviews right now. And this is about 40 seconds of one of the stories back in 2015 when this race together controversy was going on. And Howard Schultz is in some of these in this little montage of clips that they played. But this just gives you a sense of what Starbucks's company is like, which to me sheds light on the fact that they are the complete opposite of racist. And if anything, they are the biggest social justice warriors in the way they present themselves anyway that there are. Would you like to be engaged in a conversation about diversity while grabbing your morning latte? Starbucks wants to get people talking about race in America. The coffee giant offering a little something extra with their latte. Try and engage in the discussion that we have problems in this country with regard to race. People weighing in on both sides of this. Yeah. I think it's a good step forward. I mean, so many people do walk through Starbucks. It's a good uh, platform. I walk out of the store. How come? Because it's just inappropriate. Yesterday, Howard Schultz, the visionary CEO of Starbucks, caught a lot of flack for his bold Race Together initiative with USA Today, designed to use his coffee and teaching to kickstart a national conversation on race relations, something that's very consistent with the company's socially conscious image, and they've done a lot of other issues before this. He did start a national conversation, but it didn't start at the local level. He started it by creating news through a press release and through the help of USA Today. She said something interesting in there. Uh, I think somebody who's being interviewed, it's a good way to access people, something like that. A lot of people go through there. Right. And that's interesting to me. Like, I never thought about that as it's like the way Facebook ads are. If they actually want to use their baristas as a mouthpiece, as a propaganda tool, they really could. I mean, they could give the order that every single person at the end of uh, a service like instead of saying have a nice day they say something else well you know that's probably what this racial bias yeah, training they're Facebook, having is going to yeah. do where they're shutting down all the stores which he's also done that he oh, did that in 2008 yeah he shut down every store in 2008 i can't remember the specific issue yeah okay people are acting like this is some new thing he did the same thing in 2008 I mean, it's a real publicity stunt it's totally a publicity stunt and that's why I think they might very well be involved in it. I would think that that they were in on it. And their stock is going to go up again, too. Yeah, because they know how to use it. I mean, you could always make lemonade. I get it. But this thing, it seems like uh, a, store, a, a store closing. Yeah. 
So Starbucks is the hero because they're right now they're not, but since they nip it in the bud by doing this training and being so socially conscious, they're going to come out on top again. All right, so oh, that's sure. that's all I have on that issue. Yeah. Maybe the National Enquirer talks about policy and foreign policy stuff now. And maybe it's just reversed and we just haven't recognized that yet. Um, but like, <laughs> like nobody cares about the Syria thing anymore. It's all about Starbucks being a racist bigot and Stormy Daniels. That email that we got from a listener that he wrote to a senator and said, I don't want you bombing Syria. And the guy writes back like that. Did you see that email I sent you? I forwarded you. I'm certain the listener who sent me that email does not mind that I forwarded it to you. I happen to know that listener personally would not mind. Just in case people worried that I'm loose with the emails, I'm not. But uh, the email was from the senator and it said, uh, it said a bunch of mumbo jumbo about evidence and trust me and all this kind of stuff. But it said weakness. We had to do it because weakness begets aggression. Not not aggression yeah. begets aggression. You know, we had to aggress against a sovereign country that is not aggressing towards us because if we didn't, it would beget aggression. You know what I mean? It's the opposite yeah. of like the libertarian non-aggression principle. Weakness yeah, does not beget aggression. Aggression begets aggression. It's war for the sake of peace. Yeah. All right, so Jim Comey is on this tour you know how a lot of people, they, they say Trump is impulsive and he just flies off the handle all the time. And really, if you like, like we talk about, if you understand PR and how that stuff operates, that that's, uh, that's intentional. When somebody does something provocative, it's on purpose. Yeah. It's on purpose. So Comey does this opposite thing, which you noticed specifically when we uh, analyzed his testimony last year, that he's, he does this. Oh shucks! I'm just a I'm just a big old well-intended idiot, you know. <laughs> yeah. it, like you get to be the head of the FBI by being, by being just a, a dopey, yeah, too yeah. good to be true, dope. Meanwhile, let us not forget that the first time this guy made the news was when he was 16 and swore, bore yep. false witness against somebody that he said. Uh, committed a crime who did not commit a crime. And he made big news doing that, this young James Comey. And and it could fold in. I know it sounds crazy, but as I see a few people tapped at very young ages, like Zuckerberg and Brynn at like the ages of 12, Lady Gaga went to that place too, a cultural agent of transformation. Uh, I think it's um, a mistake to dismiss the possibility these guys People are recruited in high school. Someone said that zero dark yep. thirty alluded to that. I think it's I, yep. I think it's in evidence. That's a great point. I didn't, I didn't consider that aspect of it. But yeah, that was his. He, I mean, he's a lifetime actor. This guy is acting. <laughs> this interview was so. I mean, it's so long, and I only picked a few clips, which we only have a few minutes left anyway. But his main theme in the interview is that we need to trust the FBI. This goes back to the whole theme of you can't trust alternative sources on the internet. You must trust the main media outlets and you must trust the FBI and the CIA and all those organizations. It's Yeah, the three the three rules of who you can trust. It's morally correct to trust them. It is kind of the underlying That's the thing. Even if this is what they say like when Bernanke threw helicopter money around um, to save the economy. I won't get into that. If you catch the illusion, you do. But uh, I was saying 
as the head of the Fed, whatever, even if it's a mistake and it doesn't turn out well and it backfires, just by uh, accepting and honoring the existing paradigm, just by doing what is subjectively recommended by the morally correct system, you are morally correct, even if the outcome is absolutely wrong and emphasizes or proves that objective truth is always wins in the end. And I think it was the Saul Linsky thing or some other similar book or article I was reading that said, as you know, activists, progressives, whatever, our job is to act, not worry about the outcome. If the outcome is contrary, just keep going. Don't own it. Don't whatever. Just right. keep going. It's this idea that morality is uh, is subjective. Is morality is, like groupthink makes something right? As if democracy or mob rule could change the laws of human nature or the laws yeah, of yeah. physics. That's what Lenin. That was like one of his main philosophical approaches to propaganda. Is you keep people in constant action, and, and that way they're not worried about the the ends. So if you, as long as they keep – you have to do these actions constantly and endlessly because it's the right thing to do. Don't worry about the outcomes. Doing these actions is the right thing to do. Let me worry about the outcomes. That's right. how you get people to do things without realizing what it's going to cause. And what a relief it is to think that you're a moral actor. Right. That's, exactly. that's what I struggle with most is figuring out – what I should do and why. Like I, I have my morality intact, but the world is really complicated now and raising kids and stuff. I really worry. Like just show me the path. I want to know that I will walk the path. I will raise heaven and earth to, to move heaven and earth to get it done. But I, it's hard to know exactly what to do, what the outcome will be, what is morally correct when you pull all the bull crap away and, and to relieve someone of that burden of thinking. Yeah. And still give them the satisfaction of a job well done because it's not the outcome. It is, it's not just that the ends justify the means. The means are the ends. Right. Exactly. Yeah. For the propagandist and for the people too. Yeah. You're exactly right. That's what this whole movement stuff is about. You nailed it. I feel that like it's, I, I'm living it. <laughs> it's a struggle. It's not easy. With so many options, it's not easy. Which no. is one of the reasons they flood. Us with so much information is to keep people confused and torn and split. I, I'm a little overwhelmed at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we all are a little bit overwhelmed. But I have to say, I will say as a hopeful note, at the end of the day, when I have trusted my instincts and continue, like I'm yeah. talk, really talking about like it, it, the rubber set in the road when I'm trying to raise kids in this totally weird digital world. If I trust my instincts, if I if I pull them away from the phones or if I stand my ground or if I, you know, will stand up to some authority that's that's trying to give them groupthink or whatever, at the end of the day, my kids rise to the occasion. I feel good about it. Like I would suggest, I rarely give advice, but I would suggest that people not lose their heads and really just still have confidence in the ability to see through all the crap. Yeah. And if you scrutinize, like we feel emotionally compelled by this group think, but if we critically scrutinize even these these ideas that we're inclined to to go with because we're triggered emotionally, it will stand up to the scrutiny. If we analyze it and it is right and it does go along with what we want or what we believe, then there's nothing wrong with scrutinizing it. This is why when like the Syria thing, when we're encouraged not to think about it and we're criticized for asking questions, that's why there's always something up. 
because they don't want you asking questions because they don't want you to see the true ends. It's not just the Syria thing. It's, it's everything. Everything. Yeah. It's everything. And it's not just the questions and the facts. It's the critical thinking. They're, they get annoyed at you if you're, if you try to put logic. That's why that guy being interviewed said, I know there are rules, but do the right thing because logic is the enemy of this subjectivism. Thing. Yeah. So I just heard your alarm. Do you have time to hear? One <laughs> yeah, or two finish, Comey finish, clips? finish, finish. Okay. All right. I just want to play you a couple of these Comey clips because he's such an odd person, but he's so clearly trying to deliver a propaganda message. This in, this particular clip, I just found it so he almost talks about Obama in an erotic way. Oh my gosh! Throughout the entire interview, and this clip yeah. is kind of long, but I think it's worth listening to. Okay. He's talking about his last interaction with Barack Obama before. Before Trump, it's really a pretty telling clip when you talk about is he a political actor or is he above politics? Give me a break. Which, by right. the way, his wife went to the Women's March and his children oh, the day right. after. And his wife talks about how devastated she was that Hillary lost. You met with President Obama after the election. Yeah, he held me back after one of the very last meetings I had with him after the election. And he said, but I want to just tell you something generally. I appoint you to be FBI director because of your integrity and your ability. And he looked me in the eye and he said, nothing has happened, nothing in the last year that has changed my view of that. And look, he wasn't telling me, I agree with what you did. He wasn't telling me you made the right decision. He was telling me, I know where it came from. I know you're not a partisan hack. I know you're trying to do the right thing. And it meant a lot to me. I mean, I had not been a political supporter of President Obama's. I came to deeply respect him and his higher loyalty to the values I care a lot about. And I, I almost got emotional in that moment because, again, I've been walking around like Bruce Willis in the sixth sense and have the president of the United States say, I still respect you for the reasons I did originally, meant a lot to me. That was a real, in some ways, a very raw conversation in your telling. What else did you tell him? Yeah, I said to him, uh, Mr. President, first of all, I said, thank you, Mr. President. It has been a nightmare I'm just, I've just tried to do the right thing. And he said, I know, I know. And then I said, I think my wife would kill me if I didn't take this chance to thank you and to tell you how much I'm going to miss you. And, and also to t I told him that I dread the next four years, but in many ways I feel great pressure to stay, to try and protect the institution I lead. What were you dreading? Well, I had some sense of the nature and character of the new president of the United States and I worried very much that there would be an effort to erode the independence of the FBI. And I worried, given what I had seen during the campaign, that that, that effort to remain a part uh, might be challenged in, the, in a Trump administration. And I, and I was right, but that's what I worried about. Well, can I react? Yeah, to go that? ahead. React, please. The It's just complete crap to me because I just don't believe this stuff is real. Like, I don't think Obama is the CEO any more than I think Trump is the CEO of this company called the country. I just don't believe it that he's sitting there. I think, I think these guys are face jobs, like face jobs. Like they don't do anything but read teleprompters. You know what I mean? I don't think Obama is sitting there puzzling. It's enough to be a face job. It's like there aren't enough hours in the day. Nixon was not a face job. He was puzzling over power. 
But yeah. I think we've moved far beyond that because guys like that get taken out. Right. You know? And I think that, so it just to me sounds like a whole entire lie. And then Comey is saying like, I was deeply worried and I dreaded and blah. I think, I think Comey is an actor. Like, I don't think he has much, uh, because I don't think you can be both. Yeah, I just yeah. don't think you can be both. And then the Bruce Willis little tidbit <laughs> so contrived. And another thing is, is this the second time I've heard him talk about how, uh, fearful he is of his wife. Oh, he he talks about his wife the whole time. I mean, but, but the both times I've ever heard him talk about it, he said it starts with my wife would kill me, right? And I just don't understand how a guy like that has time to cower to his wife. I mean, is, yeah, yeah, I totally, he's got to get a scene under control. I mean, right. I don't cower at my husband. My husband doesn't, you know, cower to me. Who is this guy? He sounds like a, a a putz. He sounds like a coward the whole interview, and that's that's part of and the an whole idiot process. and an incompetent. And that's just not that's not that's not the case. So I agree. It's it's all a, a show. Um, I know you got to go. What this is normalizing is something we've talked about. Is he's trying to present that message, and he's going around touring. He's not a political actor. It's just morally wrong. So his whole idea of I had to do this because it's morally right. It complements th- this whole idea that you were talking about where your friend said, no, 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 it's just wrong to disagree. It's not about two sides. The other side is just wrong. Oh, that's my favorite. That's the message that he's presenting with this because he's clearly a political actor. All right, two more quick clips, and I'll let you get out of here. This is an ad for the television show Designated Survivor. Then I'll play you the clip of the question that was asked right after this ad played. I'm going to have to read because part of it is text. Here's the clip. Is the president mentally fit? This is ridiculous. One man could bring down the president. Are you sure you answer my questions? Michael J. Fox joins the cast for the rest of the season. I got a job to do. New designated survivor next Wednesday on ABC. So at the beginning, it starts with, is the president mentally fit? To run the country, and then it goes into that dialogue. Where's Boy, that was so, such – it's not even veiled. I mean – And this is the first question asked after that commercial break. You're right. The President Trump is unethical, untethered to the truth. Is Donald Trump unfit to be president? That was right after <laughs> that commercial. That's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. I mean it's just to, to think that that's a coincidence. You know what I mean? People have to be – have to wear tinfoil hats to to think that that's a coincidence. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time. Ah, thank you for your effort. <laughs> All right. Go to propagandareportdaily.com. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't. Thank you to everybody who's donated on Patreon and on PayPal. You're the reason we can continue to do the show. And we will talk to you next time. Later. See you later.